This is Cyber Defense Radio with your host and cybersecurity expert, Gary Malefsky. Gary brings to you another globally recognized cybersecurity executive in the hot seat today. This is exciting. It's my second interview with an award-winning best-selling author. Laura Neal, she has a background in electrical engineering with a computer engineering background as well. So she really knows the, the subjects we're gonna talk about today from valuing women in the workforce to cybersecurity and what angle we can take an approach to have some diversity in cyber, just like the hackers and the bad guys, we need diversity in our defenses. Lauren, welcome to the hot seat today. Hi, Gary, um, thank you, happy to be here. So tell us about your book and your philosophy, Valued at Work, Shining a Light on Bias to Engage, Enable, and Retain Women in STEM. Well, my my book came out in October last year. And my, my philosophy on all these things is, while yes, I definitely resonate with women in STEM, having be, being a woman in STEM, but for me, it's about so much more than that. It's about behaviors in the workplace. It's about being valued for the real skills that you have, not just things that anybody can do. And, you know, being able to develop yourself, develop your career, grow your skill set, grow your experience. And, and for me, if organizations tick those three boxes, you're going to retain your people. Because those are often the reasons why people don't, well, people won't stay with companies. So a lot of corporations and in cyber, we have issues of in the U.S. alone, a half a million job openings that we need to get filled. And I love helping women in cyber. We have a scholarship program. We have awards for women in cyber, recognizing diversity uh, and uh, really defense in depth does require people with different views. The cyber criminals are not getting less smart. They're getting smarter. They're using AI. The tools, the advances in, in the bad guys really means we've got to advance our workplace and improve workplace culture. What's the real problem and how can we solve and how can we get more women into cyber? So for me, when I when I started looking around this um, in banking, in the energy sector, in finance, um, you know, the, it all points to very, very similar stories. I, I interviewed a, a, quite a number of women in STEM last year, and you wouldn't believe it, but they all have the same scars. And it didn't matter if they were in cybersecurity, because there, there was a woman from cyber there, if you were in tech, machine learning, offshore, onshore, on a boat, it, it was all the same. It always came down to behaviors. But every time I spoke to them about what are their organizations doing in, in the gender space? And they said, you know, they're focused on their targets. So can we get 30% women at this level by this date? Can we get 50-50 um, at graduate level and so on? And that seemed to be the focus. Every now and then for the more manufacturing industries, there was talk about making sure that there were toilet facilities available or changing rooms for women on site, which also were, are not there today in a lot of places. When I think about that, I, I just think we're still there, really. <laughs> we're in a place where there just even aren't the basic facilities available, whereas when you think about what are the aspects that are really impacting these women, it's behaviors. It is the outright disrespectful things being said, like, you're only here because you're a woman, or you only got the job because you're a woman, 
or I had an email once from someone on a reply to all email, internal and external people on it, and said, Lauren, I'm removing you from this because you're not technical. Says, and I have a master's in electronic and electrical engineering. I had worked for 14 years at that point, and um, I'd been offshore and onshore, but apparently they deemed me not technical. So I've seen it firsthand. <laughs> So you get the absolutely disrespectful behaviors, and then you get the subtle things where you're just not invited to a meeting, or you are in the meeting and you speak up, and then it's silence. And then they continue speaking like you've never said anything. So it's those little things that knock, and I'm gonna say it's not just women, it will knock a person's confidence in, did I say it right? Am I wrong? Should I not have raised that? And, and all of that compounds over time. It, it's not just, you know, a one and done. It, it, it's consistent. Then you get the next part, which is women who are brought into companies, brought into a role, got a, got a nice title. But then in reality, what do they actually do? They're sharing their screen in a meeting for someone else's slide pack. Or they're arranging the away day for the person. And they could be a cybersecurity professional. But that's what they're making them do. Because from a stats perspective, hey, they've got a woman in the job, tick the box. <laughs> but in reality, they're not being nurtured. They're not using the real skills and talent that can add value to the business. And then so, the third part, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was uh, sorry to interrupt, but I'm just curious. So, But Tim Cook says he solved it. I mean, we, we just need to get young women in STEM. Earlier, we got to get computer science majors. We've, we need more high school uh, students that are women getting into uh, young ladies getting into computers and, and, and cybersecurity. Is he wrong? I, I think he's only got a partial answer there. I mean, of course, you always want to have your pipeline of people coming in. And, and we've seen that there are young girls and women going to college and they are doing really well in their course and some of them drop it entirely and don't go into the workforce but those who do you know great let's bring more in but if they are not respected and their unique skills and talents are not utilized in the right way to actually bring value to the business which every good businessman should be aiming for then they're going to, you know, if they're going to sit and get bored all day, if they are ordering lunch for the team, or if they are always the one having to take notes from the meetings and then having to, you know, type them up, or I would hope people would use AI by now, but a lot of people don't. And, you know, you're just going to be soul destroyed because you're going to sit there and go, I can do so much more than what they're asking me to do. And if that's the case, why should they stay? You know, what, what's going to make them think, well, am I going to be in any different place development-wise, career-wise, position-wise, in a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? And if they think the answer is no, they'll leave. So no, Tim, it doesn't solve the problem. So how do we build a more inclusive culture? Is it having various events? I mean, we don't want to just check boxes and have numbers. What you're saying is we we need to change our culture and value women at work in a, in a new and more innovative way and get, get out of being stuck in the 80s, as they say. So a big part of it, when I, when I coach men in this space, the first thing is always observation. 
what are you seeing? What is the real data? Like I say, some companies are focusing on their targets and their stats, but that's not necessarily the right problem to solve. Find out why are people leaving? The number of companies that do exit interviews and never actually review it is astounding because you'd start to see trends on why people are exiting companies. Mm. Start looking at the number of, and I'm gonna just say people, cause it counts for, for everybody. How long has, you know, look at the number of people, how long have they been at their current grade or level and over a period of time? What is the feedback they are getting? If they are always getting consistently fantastic feedback on their annual appraisals and so on, why have they not been promoted? It, is that, you know, it's usually bias. That's And you can see that when you look at the data. For me, I'm an engineer. It drives everything. Always look at the data. What is it? At what level are people leaving? Are they leaving mid-career? That tends to happen. In the UK, there was a study done last year that was dispelling the myth that women are leaving mid-career to have children. Because while that does happen, there's a lot of cases where that's not the reason. But generalizing, people just think, oh, yeah, they've gone to start a family. That's why they've left. And they so, don't think anything more than that. <laughs> wow. So in a root cause analysis, one of the problems is bias in collection of data on women in work, bias on the treatment of women in work and, and the communications and, and not enough inclusion in the culture. And even on the exit interviews, as you say, they're, they're missing the boat. So the, the root cause analysis is what? So, I mean, the root cause analysis for me is really looking at, I mean, like I say, it's those three areas. It's the behaviors in the workplace. It's inclusion of the right skills. Have you got the right person in the right place at the right time for mm -hmm. them and the company to, do, and to achieve? And then the third part is empowering your future leaders. This is you're developing the next generation of talent. No company should be focused on just having that one person in charge thinking they're going to be there forever because nobody's going to be there forever. Right. So you want to build up that succession planning. It makes so much sense. So your book, Valued at Work, and a strategy too for it's for executives, whether you're a woman in STEM or you're an executive, a male executive, it doesn't matter. Uh, this book should help educate you on creating a better culture, uh, understanding women better. What are we going to get out of Valued at Work? So the Valued at Work shows two men discussing this topic and all the stories that come up that these, these two characters, they, they speak to other characters in the book who share their stories. Most are women. All the stories are real. They are real life stories from the last five years, um, from uh, people that I've interviewed, and they were in various different places in the world. So it's not specific to the UK or the US. And you do start to see a theme. Every woman I've spoken to who's read it, even very senior levels have said it resonates with them. And the men that have read it, some of them have, you know, the stories they've heard before, but in other cases, which I've quite enjoyed, is where they said, I never knew this was happening. And every time I hear that from a man, my response is always the same. It's, well, why would you? Why would this knowledge just appear before you? And I'm not having a go at men. I'm not at all. 
but it's really encouraging to walk a mile in someone else's shoes and that goes for anybody and and you know just so I'm being fair I do criticize queen bees as well so it's not just the men who are doing the wrong things in um, in terms of workplace cultures well you know in workplace cultures I've never heard of men talking about imposter syndrome can you tell us what that is and 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 how women can deal with that so, it, I mean, I even call myself, I go sometimes, I'm a stereotypical woman and I have that imposter syndrome. If I if I look back about maybe 10 years in my career, maybe not as long as that, maybe just about eight years, when I felt like I started getting stuck, my default was, okay, I need to be better at this, I need to be better at that. And it was all about me not being good enough. And I never voiced that to anybody because, you know, why would you? <laughs> So for me, it was, okay, I need to improve here. I need to improve there. And when I started speaking to some of my male mentors, they would say to me, there's nothing wrong with your communication skills. There, there's nothing wrong with that. And they, they couldn't understand why I was thinking I needed to be better. But in my head, I was thinking, well, I'm not progressing the way I want to. I'm not succeeding in the way I want to. So there must be a problem and the problem must be me, was, was how it went in my head. That is imposter syndrome. It's thinking that you don't belong there. There's something wrong with you. Um, yeah, it, it, it's exactly that. And it wasn't until probably only about four years ago when I voiced this to a woman who's a little bit older than I am. And her reaction to me was, Lauren, you sound like me five years ago. And even that wasn't enough to um, sort of light the light bulb in my head. It was when I spoke with a very good friend of mine who is probably about 10 years younger than me. So she was in her 20s. And I was having a rant one day and I said, I just feel like it makes no difference if I come to work or not, because the work that I'm doing is not impactful. It really doesn't make a difference or someone else is changing it anyway. And she said to me, Lauren, I know we're different levels, but I feel exactly the same. And I just went, no. When you are in your 20s, you should have every opportunity for growth, development, exposure to different things to really, you know, work out where you want to go in your career. If you're in a place where you, you feel like you're just redundant because no one takes you seriously, the work you do isn't impactful, are you going to stay there? Probably not. And that really lit a fire under me because I just thought, no, okay, now I've got three data points, this is wrong. So, you know, for me, there's, there's far too much imposter syndrome going on. It's not just women. I do see it from men from underrecognized backgrounds, if they come from, you know, a non-Western country, or maybe they're just really shy and introverted and question, you know, should I speak in this meeting? Should I not? I would love it if more organizations and leaders made room for these people um, who may be questioning why they are there and say to them, you're welcome here. I want to hear your views. I want you to ask questions because I want to help you progress. Yeah, sometimes people, whether it's a man or a woman, they might feel uncomfortable. Maybe English is their second language. Uh, you know, or maybe they have an accent that people have noticed that's different. So being different uh, should should be valued and appreciated. Uh, the diversity in workforce hopefully continues to get better. 
But like I said earlier, the diversity in cyber threats is getting worse. So the more women, don't worry about imposter syndrome, get into cybersecurity, help us solve these problems. Use women's intuition. Uh, when have you ever said your mother was wrong? She's usually <laughs> right, right? But dad's, dad's wrong often. So women's intuition in cybersecurity works. Uh, we have many women breaking the glass ceiling being CISOs now. And we have you know top 100 women in cyber awards we've been doing for years. Luckily, there's more than 100 women in cyber. There's thousands, but we need thousands more with the job openings. Lauren, any advice you can give young women heading into cybersecurity? Any advice uh, you want to share before we close out this interview? I mean, big one for me that I learned too late is the value of networking. Build your network, um, both you know privately because you will have bad days. Everybody does, um, but you want the people who you can vent to. Uh, who aren't going to pass that on. But equally, you really want to build your professional network. And don't be afraid at what levels you pitch this at. With with tools like LinkedIn these days, you can go and connect with really senior people and start conversations with them, build relationships with them. Even if, if you don't, if you, you're not confident to do that online, do it within your own company. Don't limit yourself to only networking at your level because that is the one thing that I have seen in my career over and over again. It's always about who, not just who you know, but who knows you, who knows what you want to do, who knows what your capabilities are, who knows what your potential is, because those are your sponsors. They, those are your advocates when you are not in the room. So the sooner you can start building that, the better. And for any organizations and organizational leaders listening to this, reach into your company, go and identify these people who are superstars just yet to be found. Get to know them better. And speaking of that, we want our readers and viewers and listeners to get to know you better by going to your LinkedIn. We'll put it up on the screen, linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Lauren Neal. Lauren Neal, you are an award-winning best-selling author. Valued at Work sounds amazing. Great book. It's also a strategy. You do coaching, don't you? Yes, I coach women one-to-one. -one. I also coach um, organizational leaders, executives, um, can do group coaching or one-to-one. -one. And again, for me, it's all data-centric, data-centric, experiential, make sure it's real. Um, it's not just, you know, theoretical stuff. We, we tackle the real stuff that's happening right now in your organization. That's great. Folks, visit her online at LinkedIn. Link in with her as soon as you can. And if you go to Target, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or your local bookseller, her book is a number one best-selling book, Valued at Work. You've been listening to Cyber Defense Radio. Stay tuned next time for another amazing and informative episode. CyberDefenseRadio.com is proudly part of the Cyber Defense Media Group, where InfoSec knowledge is power. Cyber Defense TV and Cyber Defense Radio have launched 24 by 7 by 365 live streams. Visit them online today at cyberdefense.tv and cyberdefense.radio with your host and globally recognized cybersecurity expert and my good friend, Gary Milewski. <laughs>